This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlinski, and as always, I am joined by Nicholas J. Horwat, and here we are starting our 99th episode as the Tip of the Iceberg. Horwat, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, it's We should name this episode actually episode 97 point something to appease Mike, what's his name, from Edmonton, the Edmonton writer who... Didn't like that someone shows the number 98 in Edmonton. Ah, yes. I wish I remembered his name, would have made that joke a lot funnier and that intro a lot better, but I'm sure you've heard the story, and honestly, we might talk about it, I might talk about it, uh, come this Thursday, because it it it, uh, it was a little upsetting, but... Yeah, I'm trying to think of his name. He's a well-known writer, too. I just can't think yeah. of his last name, but uh, Mike in Edmonton is not happy about that I'll have, it, we'll have more to talk about it come wednesday or thursday don't worry i feel like you have loaded up for a very specific segment but we will uh digress to that point or what have you been this past week doing well doing well things are going good it's playoff football season uh for anyone who cares uh and uh well the steelers have not played yet as we record this but the game that is on nickelodeon is on right now and it's quite entertaining <laughs> you told me that i haven't checked it out and that's of course bears saints the four o'clock game but i'm ready for playoff football it's the first time in three years two seasons three years since the steelers have been in so i'm rocking my chase claypool mapletron shirt i'm very excited for him to get his first nfl playoff game but i digress to that point we have a lot of penguins hockey news to talk about because we are just about three days away from puck drop on the 2020 21 NHL season. Lots of Pittsburgh Penguins news to get through at the beginning of the show. And then we're also going to be joined by the fellows from the Three Pigeons Puckcast, the podcast covering the Philadelphia Flyers for the Hockey Podcast Network. We have them joining the show for about an hour and 15 minute conversation about the Philadelphia Flyers and the state of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the state of that rivalry as of right now heading into the season. Both teams going into the just complete buzzsaw of an Eastern division. So we have a great interview there. I hope you guys all enjoy that, getting us set for Wednesday night's matchup. But let's start off with a little bit of Penn's news before we toss to that. Of course, the Penguins this past Saturday had to cancel their practice and all team activities, quote, out of an abundance of caution due to possible exposure to COVID-19. That is something that right now, of course, is going to be very worrisome, especially considering that came out one day after six Stars players and two staff members tested positive for COVID-19. So that was something that did get a little scary in the city mm -hmm. of Pittsburgh coming out on Saturday. And it is a surprise that this happened in a state that was set to allow fans into games for Dallas. Was that really surprising to you that it happened in Texas? Eh, yeah. Texas didn't shock me that much. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we've seen, we've seen, uh, players in all sports and coaches and staff do fairly well at keeping themselves out of, you know, catching the virus and spreading it. Granted, yes, there's the exceptions of the Ravens, the Titans, the Browns currently. We've seen it. But, I mean, for the most part, out of how many teams there are in all of sports, a handful catching and spreading, I mean, yeah, that was bound to happen. 
Um, yeah, it's been a lot, and maybe the NFL just is just kind of driving through their COVID stuff. But hey, the NHL is not going to try and do that. They've already said the Dallas Stars will start on the 19th at the earliest, so that's probably yeah. going to get pushed again. Um, and it seems like Columbus is back on track. I think that was just a handful of guys. And, yeah, so when it comes to that stuff, the NHL is going to take it seriously. Uh, and other stuff, I don't know if you have it down. I'm just remembering it now because we're talking about COVID and hockey. Casper uh, Kapanen's back. He is. He just has to take a week off and yeah. quarantine, which is okay. We like that. That's okay. He got into Pittsburgh on Saturday, and day one of his quarantine in the NHL quarantine protocol started on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So next Sunday will be whenever he is allowed to rejoin the team. Mike Sullivan already stated in an interview that he is going to be talking with Barry Kapanen over video call, trying to get him up to speed on all of the, the schemes and the way that they want to play the game so he can get at least the mental aspect ready for whenever he can rejoin the team. The physical aspect is still yet to come, of course, but... I mean, with, with the Penguins holding practice on Sunday night, and I should say a scrimmage on Sunday night, it seems as if all things are good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nothing really issues with COVID yet, but of course that is going to be a fluid mov- movement for the next four months. We're going to have to see how the Penguins react to that. And I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers did a really good job this year. I'm sure that's because in part their partnership with UPMC, and I'm sure the Pittsburgh Penguins are also going to benefit from the same thing. Yeah, and it was... So, yeah, the Penguins are holding a scrimmage the day after a um, day off of a out of an abundance of caution for possible exposure. Uh, I did see, I forget who tweeted it out. Mike Sullivan did say, basically to the reporters, don't read into who is and isn't at this upcoming practice or the following practices. Um, they are, cause I guess for now, at least, I don't know what the league is going to do. I don't know if they're going to handle it like they did last playoffs. Uh, but at least the Penguins for now are not releasing who's, who gets the virus, who is in quarantine for it or anything else. It seems cause I, I don't know if I just made that, that quote up, but I could swear I saw it read by a tweet that, uh, Mike Sullivan said, don't read into who is or isn't at practice until yeah. game one. Yeah, and that's the thing. The NHL, during the return to play last season, was not going to release the names of the players that came down and tested positive COVID, and that's going to continue this year. They're a league that is very good on privacy of injuries for their players, and that's going to continue into this season. Oh, great. My, <laughs> yeah, exactly. My question, to, to round out this portion of the COVID talk at least, is does this, and by this I mean the Dallas Stars testing six players positive and two staffers and the Penguins already canceling practice for a day because of caution due to possible exposure. Does it change your thoughts on whether or not the NHL will be able to get this season in on a semi-normal schedule? Not too much yet. I mean, we know it's bound to happen. I think it's just a matter of, um, because the, the NFL was able to kind of bowl through it because their season is very different. They, their teams only play once a week. Yeah. Um, and it's hard, and that's easy for them. Whenever they say, "Okay, well now you have to quarantine for a week, or you take four or five days off." Well, you're not missing any games there. You're missing practices and important stuff. Four or five days, you know, in in hockey or basketball or baseball. I mean, that's there's multiple games in those in that span usually. Hmm. I think, I hope at least the NHL has pre- has preparations for a situation like that where. These dates are flexible. 
I mean, I think we've noticed that they're flexible already by the times of them not really being released yet. And going forward, I mean, it's going to be a fluid season. It's going to be something we're just going to have to get used to this year. And that is just the fact that what we have written down as our schedule, that could change. And it's and we're going to see weird lineups. That's mm -hmm. also for damn sure. <laughs> I mean, you even look at the Dallas Stars right now. You mentioned the earliest they'll be able to play is January 19th. That already makes them reschedule four games into the season, and they haven't even dropped the puck yet, and they already have four games. So what I think is probably going to happen is the NHL is going to say, okay, we can't reschedule all of these games because we already have each team playing at least three games a week, sometimes four games a week, and not very many times do they have long periods of time where there's time off. I can see them doing exactly what they did at the end of last season when it stopped dead and just going by points percentage at the end of the year. It's a little bit easier and a little bit more fair because you're in these tight, tight divisions where, yes, your points percentage means a lot in that division because you're only playing those division opponents, and that's how you're going to determine the playoffs. So if it comes down to it, I can see the NHL going by points percentage instead of overall standings points if enough of these games start getting canceled and start, especially later in the season, if they start yeah. running into issues with COVID, they're going to have to do something. And they've proven that they will do that already with last year's playoffs. They're probably going to do it again, especially because it's easier to determine whether or not a team deserves to be in a playoff spot based on the fact that they can earn it only by beating teams in their division. Yeah, it's... It's hopefully just the plan they have in place. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I kind of zoned out halfway through that. But, yeah, no, it's it's just hopefully it's just the plan they have in place. And we'll see going forward. We'll take it a day at a time and a game at a time. It's all you can do. And somebody that won't be taking it a day or a game at a time is Mike Lang. He decided to opt out of the season. The Hall of Famer said he will miss the beginning of the season at least out of caution Due to COVID-19, he said he talked to his doctors and the 72-year-old's doctors suggested that, quote, it's probably the best to receive the vaccine before returning to the broadcast booth. In the time being, Josh Getzoff, who is already doing road games for Lang, is going to be taking over his home game calls as well. Uh, disappointing a little bit, but you understand the reasoning behind Mike Lang's decision. The only thing that to me sucks is because we don't have... We have no idea how long we have Mike Lang calling Pittsburgh Penguins games for anymore. I mean, a couple years ago, Vin Scully, the legendary Dodgers broadcaster, decided to retire. This past offseason, uh, Doc Emmerich decided to retire. So a lot of the voices of our childhood, at least in sports, are kind of going away at this point. And we know Mike Lang is kind of on that path. He already doesn't travel with the team, and he has it for a couple seasons. And he's taking on lighter loads as years have gone on. Now with COVID and him being out at the beginning of the season... Uh, it does make you a little sad that that the Hall of Famer is not going to be up in the broadcast booth to start the season. But we hope that, you know, in due time, he gets the vaccine. And we'd love to hear his voice calling the Pittsburgh Penguins games, especially in a season that is going to be so much fun to watch. So uh, we wish the best for Mike Lang, obviously the best of health. And hopefully we hear him in the broadcast booth. What did you think when you heard the news about Mike Lang opting out? Uh, honestly, I just thought it was a good move. I mean, for a handful of reasons, and health being the main one, yeah, for a guy of his age, man, you've done it for so long. Like, It's not like he's got much more to accomplish, really. I mean, he's done it all. Um, 
so it's not like he's going to miss much in accomplishment-wise. It just hurts from a fan's perspective of, you know, just a little reminder of, hey, you know, we're all only here for a limited time. We got to, you know, not shorten it any way we can. And I get that it was a dark turn to take it on, <laughs> but it's real. You said it already. Like, we are, you know, at a limited amount of games left with Mike Lang um, in the booth. And, you know... He's had a long career. It's not like he doesn't have much more to prove. He doesn't have to fight through this. And he's doing what... He's following his doctor's orders, which is what everyone really should be doing anyway. And he's no different. So, it was just a smart move. I, I mean, I'll be honest. Like, when's the last... I mean, I get it's Mike Lang, but I also haven't listened to a game on radio since... Goodness. I mean, probably a preseason game. But even then, he's not doing those. So, really, I haven't heard Mike Lang call a game myself firsthand maybe since he was on TV. I mean, yeah, I hear the calls still from through replays and lining them up, but I still hear them, and I still hear his voice, and it's still cool hearing his voice through all the other things. Like, he still does recordings for the team, promos, commercials, stuff like that. Like, you still hear his voice everywhere. You know he's around. It's just I personally have honestly not listened to a live Mike Lang game in a long time. But that's just me. Either way, it's a huge miss. I mean, we'll be missing him a lot and you know big respect and hope for the best for him from the broadcast booth into the ice let's talk a little bit about the team going forward with about three days until they open up the season against the philadelphia flyers and like i said we have an interview with the boys from the three pigeons podcast mike matt and joe joined us to discuss the philadelphia flyers where they're at at the beginning of this season and where they're at in con- in accordance with the Pittsburgh Penguins roster. We also talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins, so stay tuned for that. But let's talk about the Penguins right now a little bit before we toss to that. And let's talk about a bit about a season preview. Now, the first question I want to ask you, because this is a guy that you seem a little in tuned with, is Drew Connor really about to make the roster out of training camp? Uh, I don't think he'll make it out of camp because we just have NHL experience ahead of him. Um, unless we want a guy that um, is a younger... Patrick Hornquist immediately which I don't think we necessarily need at the moment I mean he's a big body who is gonna sit in front of the net he's gonna be a net front presence in the coming seasons I don't think he should make it right out of camp because I say let's give him time to get acclimated with the system if he wants to be like a first call up or something excuse me down the line this season I'm cool with that for sure I mean it's just right now I don't expect him to be on an opening night roster, and I kind of don't want to see it. Let him grow in the system a little, but hey, that's just me. If he's good enough, and this team thinks he's good enough, and this organization thinks he can be an NHL player right now, clearly they're smarter than me. So if that's what they um, see from him, then by all means, he's going to be a great player. We're going to hear his name a lot in the coming years. As to if you're hearing it this year, is yet to be seen, but I mean, right now he's making some noise, and... You know, he's from Dartmouth. He's a big body from Dartmouth University, and it'll be interesting. He's a guy that everyone should always keep an eye on going forward. I mean, is Dartmouth an Ivy League school? I can't remember. It is? So, I mean, last year we had an Ivy Leaguer come out and make the team out of camp, and it went pretty well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, of course, I'm talking about John Marino coming from Harvard. But as far as Drew O'Connor goes, I mean, he has been working in on the fourth line regularly. He's kind of been switching with Colton Sevier down there. So the fact that after Sevier was able to return, that O'Connor still gets that playing time and he's still practicing with the first team, 
that's a good sign for him. Now, do I think he will make the roster out of training camp? Probably not the starting roster. I think he'll start as a healthy scratch. I think he'll even make it, instead of the taxi squad, a step above that as a healthy scratch and not necessarily on the taxi squad. But at the same time, when Kasperi Kapanen returns, like we said, in seven days, I can definitely see O'Connor being relegated to the taxi squad until the AHL season starts, and you probably see him down in the AHL if the Penguins don't want him in the NHL because there is an opportunity here for him if the Penguins like him, to keep him in the NHL roster. If he has a chance to play over Colton Sevier, I don't see a reason why the Pens wouldn't go for that, especially since he's probably a little bit faster, he's definitely younger, and he has a little bit more offensive upside. Now, he is young, and he does not have the experience that Colton Sevier has, but it's just a matter of seeing which of these guys are going to get the stick. And of course, when Kapanen comes back, that gives Rodriguez you know, he bumps down into the bottom six shuffle, and where does he fit in? He probably has a little bit more leeway than a Drew O'Connor does, but O'Connor, I think, has, has a chance to make the team out of camp. I don't think he's going to be dressed on Wednesday, but at the same time, I think he could be you know, above the line of where those taxi squad players are. Yeah, it's that, and that's very possible. It's just a matter of, uh, excuse me, I don't know how many people we've already started sending home. Um, I noticed guys like Militech was already taken out churchman i think and uh trotman i believe so we're making small moves for now and it's we're a couple days out i mean i would assume the day this comes out to shit the day after i mean by then your roster's got to be set right probably the day before camp or before the opener is whenever they have to have roster solidified yeah so that'll be tuesday and that's the day after this comes out so um, I mean, I don't see Sevier being shipped out anywhere. If anything, he'd be on the uh, taxi squad because he's obviously an NHL caliber player mm-hmm. at bare minimum. Um, whether or not he's you know phenomenal, we're not too worried about. It's he's a guy that's got NHL experience and won't see AHL time with us. He'll be a healthy scratch on the taxi squad or on the ice, and that's pretty good for him, I'd say. Um, and. It's just up to Drew O'Connor to kind of take that place. And like I said, I just don't I don't expect to see him make the team or um, on the opening opening night roster. But obviously I'm not there camp every day watching this. I'm not <laughs> watching everyone else's camp. If the organization likes him, then yeah, good for him. And he it's I'm gonna trust that move because I know one day at least Drew O'Connor's gonna be damn well worth it. Yeah, it definitely helps looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins prospect pool, seeing somebody like Drew O'Connor come along as well as he has since being signed by the Penguins last year. It's a nice little addition to the Pittsburgh Penguins depth pool, but let's move on a little bit past Drew O'Connor. Who do you think this year is going to be the X factor for the Pittsburgh Penguins? That's so hard to determine right now, but I'm, you know, I'm going to say Kasperi Kapanen because first of all, we know he's going to miss at least two to three games off Mm -hmm. the cuff. So um, we'll kind of see what kind of we will see what kind of team we have without him. I mean, it's it'll be a small sample size, but seeing what he can do in the lineup and whenever he's there, wherever they put him, if he's able to make a difference and make and improve this team, that's huge for him. And he's and that's a good way to prove it is to really make an impact in your first handful of games after after coming out of quarantine. You know, you're back on the team that drafted you. You know, you'd never played an NHL game here, but you're going to get that opportunity. You're going to get a chance to prove um, that you deserve to be here. I mean, what what happened to the Penguins in the seasons that Kapanen wasn't here? They went on to win two cups. 
Do you think there's something in, something in the back of his mind? I mean, granted, he was part of the Kessel deal. And that helped a lot for the Cubs. But do you think there's something in the back of Kapanen's mind that's like, the team that drafted me got rid of me and immediately won two Cups? Could he have been a difference maker? Should he have been on that team? I mean, if that's something he's thinking about, he's got every right to prove to the team that he's, because he's back, that, hey, I should have been here this whole time. No difference would have been made. Something of that of that nature. It's an interesting concept that I kind of just birthed in my head right now. But, um, you know, if he's able to really perform and prove that, I wouldn't, I expect him to be an X factor. And I think uh, we discussed X factors a long time ago. Yes. And I think I said the same thing then kind of like, he's going to be the new, the new kid. He's the fresh blood on this team sort of. And we know what he's done in Toronto. Now he's on a different team. Usually trades, have like a little players who get traded have a little rebirth we'll see what he does now my x factor is going to be chris letang this season he is an aging guy that is still the number one defenseman on this team he's still the most important defenseman on this team and yes john marino is nipping at his heels but at the same time chris letang is still the leader on the defensive side of the puck the big thing for him is he had a really bad season last year he he had a decent season offensively, but defensively he struggled and his analytics kind of went with it. But a lot of that was because of who he was playing with. He did have a lot of time playing with Jack Johnson last year with Brian Dumlin being out. So if Dumlin's there, it is going to help. But I think Chris Letang, more importantly, on the power play, is going to have to have a really good season. I think the Penguins power play, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is going to need to excel this year if they want to have a good position in the East Division. And a big part of that is Chris Letang, considering he is the quarterback of that power play up at the point. So between that and the fact that he is still the leader of this defense, he needs to set the tone for a defense that could be very good. It could be really extremely good, and he's still going to go out there and put on 24, 25 minutes a game, which is also going to help limit the amount of ice time that Cody Cece and Mike Matheson gets. So if he can do that, it's going to be huge for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So my X factor is going to be Chris Letang. The team is going to go as he goes, at least on the defensive side of the puck. I agree with that. I like that one too. I mean, I think it, I mean, yes, last season wasn't great for in Letang standards, but it was still good because he's Chris Letang. Coming into this year, he's got more to prove. He's a year older. The Penguins are, you know, the aging veterans are coming to the end of their line. Yes, he's one of them. He's got more to prove to prove that he's still here. And, I mean, we'll talk about it. This power play, I think, um, is going to flow through him. And he's got to really prove that it is his. Because we saw Justin Schultz take it from him a couple of times. And granted, a couple times, you know, that's it was it was the right move at the time. And now, but there's no one for him to fall back on. It is just him. There's not really a defenseman anymore on this team that I look at right now, at least right now, as a solid number one option for the power play. It's just Latang, and it's his now. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's the, the the big thing is John Marino has a chance to be a power play specialist, but he's not close to being able to take over that first line role. And that's something that he'll grow into. But as of yeah. right now, it is Chris Latang's job to lose, and really there's nobody else to take it from him. Yeah. Uh, let, let's get through the two more really quick questions before we head it over to the Three Pigeons podcast interview. First, more important for the Penguins this season, a successful power play or solid depth scoring? Horwat, what say you? A uh, successful power play because ours was just horrendous last year. Mm-hmm. Bad. Um, 
And we'll get into the depth scoring situation in our interview. We discussed um, that basically uh, we don't know how much our depth is going to score, but we know it's going to shut you down, and that's the certain thing about it. Uh, while as a successful power play could really turn a season around for us, and with Todd Reardon, right? That's yeah. Yep. With with him coming back in and taking over the power play, that should make a difference. It should bring out some new format that we have and kind of revitalize a power play that really, when it this gets said all the time, it's been beaten to death. When you're trotting out a power play unit of Crosby, Malkin, we used to be able to say Kessel, but now we could say Gensel. I mean, it should be a goal every time. That's what we've heard a thousand times. We've beaten it to death. And it's not far from false. I mean, okay, yeah, you're not going to score every time. No one is. But you should be scoring a hell of a lot more than you have, especially last season. So I think a successful power play is going to be important, mostly because it needs to be successful to continue to win. And we just don't know what our depth scoring, specifically our scoring, is going to look like. I agree with you. The power play is definitely going to be the the major focus and the bigger thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, look at this team. They have speed when it comes to all four lines. So they're going to draw some penalties. I mean, Brandon Tanev last year proved that he could draw enough penalties to put the team on the power play at least three times a game. So he's going to have them on the power play. It's going to be the power play needing to convert those chances, which they didn't do last season, as you pointed out. Brian Rust, of course, is the big name that has been added to the Penn's first unit of power play. That's what Todd Reardon came in, and he decided to do immediately. It is his power play to run now, Todd Reardon's, and it seems like he's revitalized it. Of course, there's no proof until you see it happen in the game time action, so we'll see on Wednesday night if they get the chance. The big thing is there, of course, that I noticed and that some other analysts noticed watching the Pittsburgh Penguins power play in that scrimmage a couple days ago was they enter with a lot more speed because now they can trust a guy like Brian Rust who has that speed to enter the zone, whereas last year, Patrick Hornfist, not a guy you want carrying the puck into the offensive zone on the power play, so maybe that is something that will help out. And the speed and the quickness of all of these guys, these five guys on that top unit, it's going to be important for the Penguins. And like you said, they need to get that going because if that gets going, the bottom six will put them on the power play. It's up to the power play to convert, and that's going to be the difference maker for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Real quick before we head to that interview, and we we gave our predictions during that interview for how Wednesday night's going to go score-wise, but what are you expecting from play-wise? What do you think you're going to see for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Philadelphia Flyers on Wednesday night? Um, don't expect high-flying, high-scoring, uh, opportunities immediately. Mm-hmm. I think the whole, there's gonna, I don't think anyone's gonna score a goal in the first period. I think it's going to be a long feeling out process because we're not having a preseason. We are jumping directly into this. It is game one immediately. We've had two weeks of training camps, and I mean, I don't know what the Flyer situation looked like. The Penguins had to miss a day. Who knows if we have to miss another one? Game one Wednesday night, period one Wednesday night especially, is going to be slow. It's going to be a slow start. People are going to be getting their legs back. This team, our, the Penguins especially, going to get used to feeling each other's line mates out. It's going to be a slow start. Don't expect either team to really come out flying. Um, that's what I expect for most of the night. But you know, toward the third period, everything's kind of fleshed out. Um Maybe all of the goals happen in the third period. Who knows? It's going. To, I think it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be slow to start, and I think you'll be able to see the pace pick up. I'm not expecting too much of a rivalry-styled game between these two because I think they're all going to be, they're going to be too worried about themselves. 
and getting themselves in tune. Maybe game two will have a bit more of that feel. But um, for now, yeah, every game is important. But at least game one is going to be more of a let's just take our time. That's the way I look at it. That's me. That's my non-expert opinion on it. And that's the beauty of this year's schedule is there are you know, home and homes or you play teams back-to-back nights. So that feeling out process that happens usually once every game, at least for a little bit, depending on who you're playing, that second game of all of those back-to-back matchups is going to be three straight periods of, we don't need to fill you out. We just played you two days ago. It's going to be interesting. But as far as Wednesday goes, I agree with you that it is going to be a rough start. There's going to be lots of turnovers on Wednesday. The goals that are going to be scored are probably not going to be pretty. They're not going to be great tic-tac-toe passes it's going to be dirty get in front of the net bury your rebound but i don't think it's necessarily going to be slow because these guys are going to be chomping at the bit to get out there and get energized and make a big play so i think they're going to be skating around pretty fast i think the pace is going to be pretty fast but i don't think the puck is going to be able to keep up with what these guys want to do i think it's going to be you know very rough passes very rough reception of the passes and i think like i said lots of turnovers but it is going to be a fun game i'm excited that hockey's going to be back I know you're excited that hockey's going to be back, and we're excited to bring you a great interview with the guys from the Three Pigeons podcast. Mike, Matt, and Joe joined us for about an hour and 15 minutes, so sit back, relax. If you're at the office, just turn that up and ignore your office mates to the left and right of you and enjoy the interview. This episode of The Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast podcast network this is episode 99 of the tip of the iceberg and we are joined right now by three very special guests three of the newest additions to the hockey podcast network the boys over from the three pigeons podcast covering the philadelphia flyers for the hockey podcast network mike matt and joe boys how's it going today Pretty good, pretty good. And it's Joe, was it a lovely 38 out right now? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lovely 38 degrees and holding. It's uh, it's going to be a beautiful Saturday here. <laughs> Love to hear it. I know I'm down in D.C., so I think I probably have you guys beat. It's about 45 here. So I don't want to brag, but that's about the one good thing that comes out of D.C. right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we D.C., a- you're, you're, in, you're in enemy territory as a Penguins fan down in D.C., I am, and I wear that with pride because it's fun wearing black and gold around and getting the side eyes. So you, you got to do it with pride. Otherwise, you're not doing it right. 
<laughs> no, I agree. I agree. It's always fun. You can ruffle some feathers. Exactly. And that's exactly what we try to do here at the tip of the iceberg. But we're thankful that you guys came and joined us. We're here to talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Flyers and Pittsburgh Penguins matchup and, and how these teams are going to match up this year. Of course, both part of the NHL's East Division, the Mass Mutual East Division, if you will. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the Flyers roster and then we're going to talk a little bit the, about the Penguins roster to get set for Wednesday and Friday, I believe, those two matchups to kick off the season. But let's start off with the Philadelphia Flyers. Guys, why don't you guys run down the lineup and tell us what you think about it, and then and then we'll we'll weigh in on what we think from the western part of the state. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know what, Joe, as our host, our fearless leader, why don't you? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about why don't you guys the rundown? Host, but not definitely not fearless leader. Um, <laughs> in in terms of the the lineup, I think the three of us can. We've been really harping on that the depth of this team is is the best it's been in a while, um, especially at center with Couturier, Kevin Hayes. Got Nolan Patrick, um, all signs look like that he's going to be ready to go. Um, so we should be good there as well. And we got Morgan Frost waiting in the wings. I'm not sure how plugged in you guys are into, you know, obviously other teams kind of development and, and, and player and prospects and stuff. But Frost is, uh, he's, he's got a lot of potential. So we can see what happens with him. But um, tremendous depth, especially in the bottom six. Um, for right now, they seem to have James Van Reems like playing bottom six minutes. Um, he can score a lot of goals if, if he gets in front of the net. So we'll see what happens. But I think depth is the name of the game for this uh, for this Flyers team. I don't know if my colleagues agree or disagree, but yeah, what I'll do is I can just quickly run down what based on based on camp what the lineup is looking like for the Flyers. So first line is looking to be Oscar Oscar Lindblom, Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, which early on before Lindblom's cancer diagnosis was a very good line. They showed very good chemistry early on there. And then Claude Giroux, Kevin Hayes, Joel Farabee as a second line. As Joe alluded to, JVR, Nolan Patrick, if he remains healthy, he can go to start the season with Jake Voracek on the third line. And then the fourth line consisting of Michael Roffel, Scott Lawton, and Nicholas Abe-Kubel. So like Joe said, I mean, in our opinion, maybe next to the Avalanche, this is probably the deepest offense in the league, in our opinion, next to the, probably Avalanche have a speed. I would, I'd be willing to give them the edge just because they have that high end talent with Mika Rantanen, uh, Nathan McKinnon, but unless as Mike has any else, anything else to add on the, on the forward front, I, I really can't see too many teams topping that. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously teams like Boston are always, you know, carried by the big top six and then they just always find a way to have, have, bottom six guys from the AHL come up and, and play above their station. So we'll see what teams like that. The Caps too is obviously, but yeah, the Flyers forward depth is definitely their, their biggest strength aside from in net with Carter Hart. Um, and then even defense it's, we were talking before on, on a previous podcast that the Flyers don't necessarily have a top pair, but what they do have is a clear top to top number one defenseman in Ivan Provorov who is able to adjust his game and play as a, as a proficient uh, number one defenseman with pretty much any defenseman he plays with. I mean, he spent the first couple of years of his career with Andrew McDonald, who, I mean, I'm sure you guys remember, was an absolute anchor uh, skating alongside him. So Albatross. this year, he was hard. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you guys were happy to watch whenever you saw 40. He's our Jack there. Johnson. I mean, they, he's yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's that bad, but I, I will. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this year, no Andrew McDonald again. 
luckily. Uh, no Matt Niskanen, which is is rough, but they've been skating for overall with Gostas Bear in camp. Um, some news breaking today, though, that, that Ghost is uh, unfit to play right now. Um, you know, no news, whether it's COVID or an injury, but he won't be suiting up in the team's scrimmage on Sunday. So that's, that's unfortunate. But um, they still have, you know, Justin Braun, they compare with him. Eric, the newly signed Eric Gustafson, uh, Travis Sanheim, and Phil Myers are two young and upcoming defensemen. So this is, yeah, we'll harp on it a lot and we'll touch on it more as we discuss, but this is a, a deep Flyers roster. And while they're missing, you know, they don't have a Crosby, they don't have a Malkin, um, they they still make up for it in a lot of other areas. So that's that's really how we see the team coming into this year. Um, but we're we're extremely curious. We've heard you guys talk about the Flyers a little bit in a couple other of your podcasts. Um, we're interested to see if your your view has changed after the playoffs last year, uh, coming into camp this year. So uh, please take it away. I, I'll jump in real quick because I think he literally just basically mentioned my first little note is that um, this is a team that doesn't have a ton of notable names anymore, at least. I mean, like Danny Briere used to be there. He used to have pronger on the defense for a little while but now there's not a ton of notable names but you mentioned that the depth that is here is solid i mean i just look at it as from a rival's perspective i look at it and kind of question it because a guy like joel faraby on a second line i don't know who that is i don't know much about him other than i've heard the name uh and then he's on your second line with kevin hayes and claude Giroux. and but then you go further down like michael roffle just another pest that we've i've only ever heard the name of like the guys like this um, is there a little more detail on them? Like, what makes them so good to this team? See, first, before you answer, Michael Roffel, most notably known in Pittsburgh by almost getting his head taken off by Evgeny Malkin, just oh, yeah. Yeah. wildly yeah. swinging his stick. <laughs> he, he wasn't the first flyer to have that happen to him, courtesy of Malkin. He probably won't be the last. No, he will so. not be the last. <laughs> Joe, I, you're, you're a big it, Michael Roffel guy. Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring up Roffel because I always make a joke on the podcast that he's been on the flyers for, like, forever. And if, he really has been. He's been on the team for such a long time. Um, but he he's not known in, like like you said, like no one's going to know his name. Yeah. But he's one of those players that does every little small thing right. And you don't really notice him until it's the playoffs. He had a really actually – he had a great playoffs uh, against Montreal um, after – I was right after you guys had the series. Um, but he had a really strong playoff. He ended up getting injured. Um, but, man, he was – he scores timely goals – it seems like, which I know is going to be such a BS like thing to say, but he does the small things really well at the end of the day. And you're not going to notice him. Um, you're not going to know his name, but he's, he's been a pretty, there was one year where I think he had like 18 goals or, or 16 it, goals. 20. Yeah. Because 20 before. Yeah. They basically, he's there and everybody says this, he's their Swiss army knife. They put him wherever they want up and down the lineup. He can play third line, second line. He there was a time where he's on that first line, <laughs> which was, I mean, you don't want well, that, that to happen, but he can do it and not kill you in terms of, of percentages and stats. So, yeah, he he exactly that. I mean, that's that's why I think we speak to death is because he's no longer on a first, second, or third line. He is on the fourth line. Last year, he had eight goals, twelve assists for twenty points in fifty-eight games. So, if you're talking about a fourth line player that's going to give you on a prorated eighty-two games almost twenty to thirty points, I think any team or any podcast would be happy with a player like that in your fourth, your fourth line. So I think that just really speaks to the depth. And in terms of Joel Farabee, again, last year, 52 games, eight goals, 13 assists as a rookie. So 82 games, you're talking about 30 points as a rookie, which 
playing in a middle six role is probably nothing to write home about, but he came into camp. They mentioned he's another 10 pounds heavier. So he's 185. I think that was his biggest issue. Most like any rookie is really just, if you're not physically mature enough, the same way you were compared to players in college or juniors, your pure skill is really not going to get you unless you're elite elite um, where you want to in the NHL until you become physically mature. So for him, another year older, 10 pounds heavier, I think a, a reasonable 30, 40 points in an 82 game season, which I guess would come out to like 20 or 30 again. Um, but again, it's really like you, you guys mentioned, there's no, you say no notable names. I mean, having Jake Voracek, who's a 70-point, 60-point winger, still in this stage of his career with JVR, who can easily, I mean, he's guaranteed getting you 20 on your third line. I think we would uh, beg to differ a little bit there. Yeah, and, and not to mention uh, Selkie, Selkie winner Sean Couturier as a notable yeah. name and uh, breakout star Travis Konechny last year. Um, I, think, I think the notable names on the Flyers team are – like, again, they're not Crosby's, they're not Malkin. No one is going to make that argument at this point. The, the days are gone that, you know, Peter Laviolette saying that uh, the, the torch was passed from Sidney Crosby to, to Claude <laughs> yeah. that, That's gone. No one's going to argue that anymore. It's Ovechkin's turn now. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah we've, heard, we've heard that a lot recently on Twitter. Uh, but no, uh, I, I, I see what you guys are saying. I definitely, I definitely understand how looking at the Flyers roster, you could be like, you know, they're running – Kevin Hayes on the second line. Like when did Kevin Hayes get so good? Kevin Hayes was on pace for 30 goals last year. Like he, he really took command and he's, he's a player that appears to be entering his true prime. I think because he came out of college, we sort of forget how old he actually is. He's only like 28, 27 or 28. So um, yeah, I think, I think the less notable, notable names will become even more uh, prolific this year um and catch a lot of eyes i mean that's what we're hoping at least that's that's how the flyers will be successful is those those types of players continue to improve so um yeah uh, please uh keep firing away though keep keep uh tossing up the uh the the bad takes about our team (laughs) i mean before i even give my bad take and you guys probably won't think it's a bad take but i love how nhl training camps in the last two years have kind of digressed down to who has gained weight and who has lost weight? The people that were overweight last year, oh, they lost like 10 pounds in the offseason. Or the guys that were undersized. I think in Vancouver, Pedersen got asked the question. He's like, I thought we were done with this. Like, why are, Why is everybody concerned about weight? And I just think it's hilarious that you guys, of course, it, it, are not immune to it either. In Philadelphia, they're like, well, he gained 10 pounds. So uh, that's a good sign. If you if you have the beats that Philadelphia has, I mean, you're never going to dodge that. that question anymore. Uh, it's, so. Yeah, age, age and weight. Or the two, <laughs> yeah, uh, the main the two most asked questions. Let's forget about skill. How much do you weigh? Like, get on the scale right now. Like, I love that. That's 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 a thing now. But uh, you mentioned Travis Konechny, which I'm very happy about. To me, he's the best forward on the Flyers now, and I think he took that last year. Uh, not only saying that because he was on my fantasy team last year, and he was one of the reasons I was good on fantasy last year, but just the way that he plays the game too. I feel like he's the most complete player for the Philadelphia Flyers. Couturier, yes, he's great, and he won a Selkie for a reason. He's a fantastic two-way center, but I think Konechny has that top-end talent a little bit more than those guys, and I think that he's very underrated as far as the league-wide goes, and he should be considered the leader of this team when it comes to at least on-ice play. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, if I can run with this one real quick. Take it. Uh, 
before Matt, you mentioned uh, Oscar Lindblom on the first line and and how that line had a lot of chemistry prior to his cancer diagnosis. I would say the biggest beneficiary to that, um, to having Oscar Lindblom with him, not the cancer diagnosis, of course. Uh, the, the biggest beneficiary to that was Travis Konechny. Um, he was on pace for 40 goals before Lindblom went out, and he showed tremendous chemistry with Lindblom. So, you know, TK still would have ended the season with 30, um, especially because he was starting to heat up again as as the season was was winding down and unfortunately cut short. So. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a short in a shortened season, a guy who has the motor that he does, um, I don't I don't think it's out of the, out of the realm of possibility for him to put up thirty in a fifty six game season. I I don't think that's that ridiculous. I mean, he's he's just scratching the surface. Um, I saw a lot of talk this summer because the Flyers, you know, have this this fantasy of trading for Patrick Laine. They have a, they have a fantasy of trading for any star winger uh, at this point the team and the fans uh, uh share that passion so for hague and a uh, third yeah hague hague hague. that'll get it done <laughs> that was that was a lot of there was a lot of talk about that this summer and there were a lot of charts um analytics charts and and point share charts etc kind of showing that the flyers might already have their own patrick lane in travis Konechny. he's he's definitely trending that way in some areas he excels over Lane in, in pure five on five scoring, especially. So, I mean, yeah, he's a special player. It's it's cool that rivals are starting to see that, and it's going to be great when he blows up completely in the league. The league recognizes it. I mean, the Flyers, the NHL Network, they release those YouTube videos like top ten Flyers goals, top ten Penguins goals, etc. Travis Konechny was like six of the Flyers' top ten <laughs> goals this year. I mean, he yeah. he scores. Some absolutely filthy ones. So yeah, we're excited for him too. The only thing he he needs to round out his defensive play if okay. he really wants to take that. I mean, you know, maybe he doesn't need to be a fully well-rounded player, but in a in a system that like AV runs, I think they're they're probably going to want him to become a little more responsible in his own end. All right. Yeah, and I mentioned this on a previous episode. I don't know if it was one of the episodes you guys have listened to of the tip of the iceberg, but I said that I believe that the Flyers and the Penguins rosters are very similarly constructed. Now, of course, that kind of goes by the wayside in your guys' opinion because I didn't give too, too much credence to their depth, but I, I kind of broke it down as they have the aging stars, which are Giroux and Voracek. They have veteran support forwards like Hayes, Couturier, and JBR that are still you know, at the top of their game. They have young stars like Konechny and Lindblom and even Patrick. A solid number one defenseman in Provorov, underrated defenseman like Sanheim, Hagen Myers, like you mentioned, and then a young goalie with high expectations in Hart. And if you look over on the Penn side, I feel like there's a lot of the same kind of categories for their players. So do you guys think these two teams are constructed similarly? similarly? And do you guys think that what I just ran down there sounds about right to you? I mean, in some some places I agree, and in others I don't. Uh, Teddy Bluger? Did they pick him off of the, the side of his sheets? Where is where, he from? <laughs> I've never heard his name ever. You, you talk about, you know, the Flyers not knowing who Michael Roffel is. Teddy Blue, honestly, like, I, is he is he a scoring forward? Is he more like Roffel where he kind of does all the small things right? And that's why no one knows who he is. Just go in, go into the bottom of the lineup a little more. Sam Lafferty, uh, <laughs> not sure who that is. Brandon Tanev, I think we all agree he's very good. Um, Colton Sevier, I actually like, I think he's good as well. And Jeremy McCann plays really well for you guys. Um, but I think 
Yeah, just a defense. I think Marino, he was getting a lot of comps to to Phil Myers. I didn't know. I, I didn't. I don't really pay too too much attention to other teams' stats, but I looked into it, and he had a really great year last year. Hopefully, he continues that trajectory for you guys. And I started to see a lot of people were comping to what you know Phil Myers. Same thing. There's a lot of hope on him becoming you know a, a number two defenseman, really. Um, but yeah, there's there's some guys in the, the Penguins side. Go Lafferty and Bluger, those two. Who are they? I've never uh, heard of them. So the Penguins have this uncanny ability to take no names like this and turn them into cult heroes in our own city. I mean, Lafferty is from the area. It's closer to where Berlanski is from in Holidaysburg, PA. So he's from the area. He's a local kid, and immediately the fans are going to like that. And he is, I call him a wrecking ball because that's all he is. He doesn't really stop. He kind of just uses you to hit you and turn around and go the other way. Um, he's not going to be much of a scorer, so he is like a depth um, skater piece. He's also not so much defensively minded. It's just he's just a depth piece that can bowl you over and create space. Exactly, yeah. While um, Teddy Bluger from Riga, Latvia, Riga, I think, actually somewhere in Latvia, um, went to college, went to Shattuck St. Mary. So uh, I'm sure we, I'm sure the Penguins liked the connection he had with going to the same school as Crosby. And then he turned out to be a phenomenal depth defender on the forward. He's one of the better penalty killers we have. And uh, Berlanski can have a little more detail. He's just another more cult hero here, basically. Yeah, and it was the biggest surprise of the offseason is that Rutherford went out and got Mark Jankowski because we all expected Teddy Bluger to be pushed up to the third line center role. We thought he was ready for it because he was part of what we thought was one of our most consistent lines last year, which was Bluger, Tanev, as you mentioned, and Zach Aston Reese, who is somehow formed into one of the best defensive forwards in the league, analytics wise. And nobody will ever hear about Zach Aston Reese other than when he got his chin blown up by Tom Wilson, but he is a very steady defensive presence for the Penguins. And that helped along with a guy like Teddy Bluger, who has a scoring touch, but has been focusing at, in the fourth line role as more of a defensive guy. So if he can find a way to get that scoring touch since Nick Bonino left Pittsburgh, we've been always saying we need a third line center. Where's our third line center. We got to trade for a third line center when realistically we've had the guy here. He's just not ready yet. in Teddy Bluger, that's how we perceive Bluger. And this is going to be a big year for him to show that he can take that next step, even though the penguins are keeping him as a fourth line guy. I, I think, think it's interesting. Oh, sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that the biggest difference I see in it, and I think it, you talked about it a little bit with the age, like with your roster, because of how elite Crosby and Malkin are, you see both of them are always going to be, for the most part, over a point a game. And then when I look at your bottom six, and we look at, let's say, like a JVR, Nolan Patrick, and Jake Voracek third line compared to um your third line on paper that's where i think the discrepancy is in, in our opinion right like if i look at your your fourth liners you mentioned lafferty six goals seven assists in 13 games so he's going to be on your third or fourth line i think that's where we and i know it's not all about just goals and assists but if you're just quickly looking at it like that and then you look at mark jankowski as your third line center who had five goals and two assists last year comparing him to a nolan patrick now, I did know before that he was around 30 points a year with Calgary. So there could be some similarities there. I just think on paper, at least offensively speaking, if we're talking about a matchup of that third line compared to your third line, I like our chances a lot better, in my opinion. 
Yeah, even, the, even the def- fourth line. Yeah, I've definitely said that our bottom six is going to be weird this year because it's it's less structured. There's not a definite couple big names like Horquist down there anymore. It's completely revamped almost, and we just have to get used to it. It's going to be – I just said it's going to be weird. There's no other way of putting it. If they do good or not, we'll just, it's yet to be seen, and that's kind of – I think we're waiting to see what some of the season looks like before we start – you know, making claims on this bottom six. Yeah, and I think the thing that even team sources right now are coming out and saying, we don't expect the bottom six to start as a scoring force. But the problem being for other teams, this bottom six is really good in their own zone. So it's, can you score versus our bottom six more than our top six is going to score on you? And that's what they're kind of betting on, at least to start the season, because there's so many new names in that bottom six. It's going to take a while for them to gel a little bit. You mentioned Sevier. I mean, he even missed the first day of training camp for the birth of his baby girl. So congratulations to him on that again. I know I've mentioned it before, but there's a lot of new names. Even Drew O'Connor, who was a caller signing last year, is getting time in the fourth line, which Penguins fans have never heard of him before this training camp either. So you're not alone in that. But I'm glad you mentioned Nolan Patrick again. I don't know what to expect from him because, of course, last year he missed the entire club. season. <laughs> Nobody, knows. <laughs> Nobody knows over there either. No, I mean it's it's uh, Mike. Go ahead. You, 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 he's he's a huge Nolan Patrick. We all are big Nolan Patrick fans. Everyone wants him to succeed. Yeah, but. yeah. I, th- I think first and foremost, uh, you know, I've I've mentioned this uh, before. I I really want Nolan Patrick to do well. If you separate the player and the team, everybody wants him to to have a good season. Um, you know, just just for the kid to to be able to put it together and, and play the game he loves. Everybody wants that. Um, in terms of what to expect from him, so far in his career, Nolan Patrick has been about a 12-goal, 12-assist guy in two seasons. So, you know, not blowing the doors off. Uh, he also hasn't put together full seasons yet. Um, so if that's what you're getting in a shortened season, I mean, that's still what grades out as like a average third-line center, maybe. Um, but in terms of what we've been seeing in camp, at least, or hearing from camp is that he's faster. He appears to be stronger. Um, he's backing down players on drills and, and really using his size and speed to, to push defensemen back on the, on the forecheck and, and in the, in breakouts and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, we're expect. I don't think we're expecting the world from him. We're not expecting him to suddenly be at the pace of, of like a Nico Heischer this season or something like that. But in a third line role, being flanked by James Van Riemsdyk and Jake Voracek, uh, two guys that he's he's pretty close with and who are very offensively prone already. I mean, Nolan Patrick has we we've seen in Philly. He's had some some ten game, fifteen game stretches in his career so far where he looks like he has all the potential in the world in just the tip of his finger. I mean, this dude has one of the sharpest backhanders I've ever seen. He's cerebral with the puck around the boards. Like he sees plays happen before, you know, five steps before they're even there sometimes. So at his best, he's shown great flashes. So I think, but more than anything, we just want him to stay healthy this year. And, you know, if he, if all he can do this year is be healthy and be a, an average third line center, I think that's a success for Nolan Patrick. And I think that's something to build on at best. If he and JVR and Jake can get in on opposing teams uh, defenses and just cause havoc along the wall and in front of the net, I think you're, you're looking for a really sneaky uh, 
potentially like 15, 20 goal season in, in a shortened year. I mean, the potential is definitely there for him. And I think Flyers fans can, can attest to after watching Derek Grant and Nate Thompson play for us in the playoffs, uh, we'll take, we'll take Nolan Patrick at third line center. I think there's, there's no, in no world is he worse than, than what they trotted out in the, in the playoffs against the Islanders last year. So, I mean, I, I could totally be off base. I know I'm tend to be more optimistic on him, but that's honestly the way I see it. If anybody saw or remembers the 2018 series between the two teams that we cover, Nolan Patrick, if I remember correctly, I don't know if it was then or if it was some other game, but Nolan Patrick was a huge thorn in the side of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it was at that point that we started looking at him in Pittsburgh, at least the people that watch the game the same way that me and Horwat do, is this kid is seems like a more skilled Sean Couturier, which is scary because Sean Couturier, I mean, do we even need to mention the fact that he won the Selkie last year again? But Sean Couturier was a huge and has been a huge thorn in Pittsburgh's side basically since he came into the league. So seeing that in Nolan Patrick before, that was scary. And then, of course, the migraine disordered and, and everybody wants to see him succeed similarly to how everybody wants to see Oscar Lindblom succeed. But let's just hope it's not to the level where, you know, Pittsburgh has to start hating him. Sean Couturier 2.0, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, if, if Pittsburgh Penguins fans get to a level where they hate Nolan Patrick, I think Nolan Patrick has has taken that next step in his career. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I do agree with you. I, I know I just went on for a bit, but I will follow up. That playoff series against the Pens, he was one of the – I mean, that Flyers team had no business, um, you know, kind of being near that spot at that point. I mean, they had no goaltending. Uh, Brian Elliott was playing with a torn labor. Yeah, something like that. He shouldn't have been in net. Michael Neuberth was just a bad goalie. Uh, they didn't they didn't really have much going for them besides Drew and Couturier. So, but yeah, Nolan Patrick in that series, that's what led a lot of Flyers fans. When the Flyers signed Kevin Hayes, uh, well, traded for Kevin Hayes' rights and then signed him, Flyers fans were like, this is incredible. This is going to benefit Nolan Patrick so much. We were you know, over the moon about having Couturier, Hayes, Patrick down the middle last year. And then when it came out that Patrick wasn't going to be able to go, I mean, that was, that was crushing. So we're basically getting, you know, we're getting a second chance at that this year and we're hoping that it's, it's a foundation for years to come, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you have anything to hang your hat on with that series is you now have goaltending and the, I'm just going to make this question easy for you. Uh, is Carter Hart the real deal? Yes. Yeah. It, what proved it for me was in the, in the playoffs uh, against against Montreal um, and and even the Islanders when he would have like a bad period or a bad ten minutes, twenty minutes, something like that, where you're just like, oh my god, get it together, Carter. He did, and then he put it very quickly behind him. Um, I think that's probably the most crucial mental aspect for a goalie is to be able to to have a short memory. Um, and he's proven that that he he has it. I mean, he got shelled by the Islanders, and I think was it or was it Montreal, and then he came out and had a shutout the next game. Um, yeah. So, I think he's the real deal. Um, I sure as hell hope he is. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. We haven't had the real deal in a long time, so I mean, he, he looks like it to me. I mean, goaltending is a weird position. It's just one of those things. It's hard to predict. I know he's been projected to be that good for a little while now. Um, yeah, I just wanted to get some information on that. Is and Tristan was, Jari the real deal? We we'll see. I mean, we sure as hell hope so too. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a pretty fair comparison. I mean, he has. I think both 
have small sample sizes where they've looked good. Now, I would say where Carter has somewhat of an edge is just the fact that he was able to prove it in the playoffs last year. Um, but I think it, that is a similarity that we see is that even though Brian Elliott won some big games for us last year, if you look at his stats, goals against average, um, things of that nature, they don't look pretty last year. And without having Casey the Smith stats in front of me, I, from what I remember with my one buddy, he was a good, he's a Penguins fan. He wasn't too high on him. So I think we're pretty similar there in terms of just goalie depth, I would say. And I think this is going to be a big year for both Tristan Jari and Carter Hart just to continue that level of play over a larger sample size. For goalies, I'd like to look at it as you have not arrived as a, as a solid goaltender until you put it together back-to-back seasons. And Carter Hart has the first season already. So last year, I, I fully saw him as a top-tier, top-flight, probably going to continue to be top-15, top-10 goalie. But this year is when I need to see it again. I need to see it back-to-back years. And like you said, it's all sample size. And Jari only played 30-some games last year, so we need to see more of him. He only played one playoff game, and he gave up one goal. So, again, a lot of questions you mentioned to Smith. There's questions because he played all of last season in Wilkes-Barre. He had a chance to play or at least dress for a game against Montreal and he forgot his pa- or he lost his passport. So we had to call up a guy from the ECHL instead. So it's, we'll see how Casey DeSmith kind of comes out of that. Yeah, I, I think it is interesting how teams look at their goaltending. Um, you know, Tristan Jari right now kind of reminds me, I mean, you, you all might not like to hear this, but this kind of reminds me of like Steve Mason when the Flyers had him where there were segments of the Flyers fan base, myself included, that would vehemently make the argument that Steve Mason statistically was uh, you know, top 10, top 15 goalie on the Flyers, especially there was one season his save percentage was absurd for how bad the Flyers were. And the Flyers weren't a playoff team that year, so no one cared about Steve Mason. But uh, And then when they would get into the playoffs the following year, he got shelled by the Capitals. So, you know, it always appeared to to that section of the fan base that Steve Mason was the real deal, was going to put it together, and it just never panned out because for whatever reason, he just wasn't that goalie. Um, Tristan Yari kind of, to me, I see shades of the same thing where, I mean, I remember being at NHL Network last year and watching when Yari really first came onto the scene in Pittsburgh, it, it felt like it came out of nowhere because I had known of him from the AHL um, and you know when he was a prospect and it never struck me as more than just okay yeah this is a guy that is probably going to pan out as either a good nhl back out or backup or a career ahl you know veteran goalie so you know undeniable that he had a good season last year and it's really commendable considering how much injury issues the penguins had um which you know going back to depth that might speak to the team's depth the fact that they were able to, to have that next man up approach last year but with Yar with Jari it seems like last year to me I won't say it was a blip um but I guess same thing that you guys are saying if he can do it again this year then I'm, I'm a believer whatever I, I'm the guy who still doubts whether or not Craig Anderson is good after all this time so you know maybe maybe if Tristan Jari can can do it again this year maybe he'll he'll have me sold you're not alone on the Craig Anderson thing though I, I don't think he's gonna <laughs> doesn't help that he gets shelled every time he plays the penguins so that's that's our sample size with that and the steve mason comparisons do scare me 
Uh, it, it does make me a little bit afraid, but at Don't the worry. same time, he won't let we'll it go see. in from thinner ice. Don't worry, he won't. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's all we can hope for. And before we switch over to talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins, my last question for you guys: I see this team as a bubble team in the East Division. I for some. I don't see them as a team that could contend for one or two, and I'm sure you guys disagree with that heavily, but I see them between four, five, and possibly even six if things don't go well at the beginning of the season for them. So where do you guys see them, and how bad do you think my take is that there are four, five, or six team in the East? That's a tough I mean, take. That's yeah. a tough take, especially just looking at how they, how markedly better the team is this year. We, we touched on no, no Nate Thompson, no Derek Grant. That's who we had playing third and fourth line at the end of the year last year and the team was on fire um and now you you switch those out for a healthy you know help we have a healthy oscar limbaum now we've got a healthy nolan patrick morgan frost is waiting as well in case you need him um it's if the only way i see the flyers finishing that low is if the goaltending completely falls apart if carter hart isn't the real deal that's the only way i can see them finishing fourth fifth or sixth uh, which I mean, crazier things have happened. I just, um, seeing a lot from this kid, I, I don't expect it to happen. But that's the only way I can see them completely imploding and, and falling all the way down to, to fourth, fifth, or sixth. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, I was going to say, I agree with that. I think unless Carter has a pretty hard regression from last year, I will admit the weakness I see in, in our team really has to probably be on that bottom pair defensively. I think I agree when we said no. Ivan Provorov is a number one defenseman. I think Travis Sanheim is a very good number three at this point. And then with Phil Myers filling in right now as a number four, like that's three very good defensemen in my opinion. And then you never really know. I think another unknown is Shane Goss' bear. I mean, he's had some good seasons. He's had some very bad seasons. We'll see where he's paired. And then we're not fans of Robert Haig on this podcast. We don't <laughs> think he's very good. So Eric Gustafson's an interesting option. Braun has shown some pretty good, pretty good, uh, I would say, like, stretches for us. Like, I don't think he's an amazing defenseman, but would I take him over Cody Cece? You bet your ass I would. So I think the, the real problem might be for us is that bottom two or three defensemen, but as long as they can find defensive pairs that work, Carter Hart does not regress that offensive depth it's 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 hard for me to see, even though this is a very competitive division, us not making the playoffs pretty handedly. And one point I'll I'll leave it at is I believe, and Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, against the East last year, I believe we were 13, 6, and 3. Yeah, either 13, 6, and 3 or 13, 6, and 2, something like that. So pure, yeah, purely matchup-wise, I mean, if that's our record last year with Nate Thompson – and Grant playing a big portion of that, and we're replacing them with Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom, that's an obvious upgrade. And you would expect a slightly better record, if not the same. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers were about to eclipse the Capitals last year uh, for second in the division. Um, and they were the hottest team from, what do you want to say, mid-December, boys, until the end of the season, basically. Um, at least the start of January. So. Yeah. To start January. Yeah, yeah. They, they were definitely up there for, for top record, top point spread, top point percentage. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're looking forward to it. Uh, I, I don't see, I definitely don't see sixth and not making the playoffs. That uh, and I you, don't see that happening. That's if, you, it, 
in years right. past, if it was like a, a goaltending tandem of Brian Elliott and Michael Neuvert or something like that, yeah, this team is is not. This team is a bubble team for sure, but the Flyers are the Flyers are beyond that. It feels weird for we have like PTSD about this team being a one in one out team. They're not a bubble team anymore, and and us as Flyers fans need to start living with that uh, reality as well. So I think once the rest of the league sees that too, it's gonna. I think they're going to catch some teams by surprise. Um, their big foe right now in the East, in my opinion, is the Islanders. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's the, that's the matchup nightmare that we have currently. Yeah, and me putting them that low was not as much trying to disrespect the Philadelphia Flyers and where they're at as much as this East division being the murderer's row of teams that it could be. And could be because there are some teams that could regress. I mean, Boston being one of them, Washington being another, and Pittsburgh being another as well. It's a matter of seeing where these guys are after 10 months and most of them only playing a handful of games in that, those 10 months. So between that and then I am bookmarking it, 36 minutes is the first time you guys tried to use Cody Cece against us. I will remember that. I was waiting for that one. Hey, I mean, I, I already took out Haig. I mean, he's really, in, in my opinion, the only player on that roster that you could – throw in our face so <laughs> there you go guys well i guess we'll switch over to talk about the pittsburgh penguins i'll talk about the forwards really quickly and run down our forward lineup and then i'll let horwatt discuss the defense because he is he's definitely a guy that prefers to talk about goaltenders for sure he's a he's a goalie nut and then he also likes john marino a lot so i'll, I'll leave him with john marino in the defense but on the forward side right now we have jake gensel Sidney crosby and evan rodriguez as our top line of course it's very well documented that Kasperi Kapanen, who's the big offseason acquisition, has struggled to get from Finland to the United States. So right now they're putting Evan Rodriguez in there, who is usually a third, fourth line guy. I don't know. I've seen guys like Pascal Dupuis, Simone, De, uh, Dominic Simone, not Simone Dupre. Wow. Dominic Simone and, and Chris Kunitz be able to go and be effective first liners with Sidney Crosby. So we'll see if he can do that with Evan Rodriguez. The second line, which I think is the best second line in hockey if it's what they decide to go with jason zucker evgeny malkin and brian rust rust almost had a 30 goal season last year he would have if, if not for covid and it's somebody that on that line you can see continuing to do that of course you guys have all talked about evgeny malkin and we don't really need to bring up what evgeny malkin is and jason zucker is a guy that has really kind of caught on to the pittsburgh style of play very well and i think he's gonna work really well with evgeny malkin uh, the bottom six is where there's a little bit of controversy and a little bit of question marks jared mccann mark jankowski sam lafferty we talked about those guys a little bit already and then a fourth line right now brandon tanev teddy bluger the guy from riga latvia and uh colton sevier as well the the new dad so that is our forward lineup i'll let horowitz say the defense and then you guys can proceed to try to roast us as i'm sure you're ready for oh they will once i'm finished up here because we know what this last part is um our defensive pairings as it stands right now is Brian Dublin and Chris Letang. And I mean, that's been our first pairing forever and a day now. So that's probably where we'll stay for the time being. Second defensive pairing of Marcus Pedersen and John Marino. Uh, we touched on John Marino for a second before, and you had said how good he had looked. It was his rookie season. And I, I came to the conclusion that if he was not injured at one point with some facial, um, bone breaking i forget what it was exactly uh he could have contended for i mean not to win the calder but to be in the top three at least over uh kuba league maybe i mean kale mccarr and quinn Hughes were quinn Hughes were far and away gonna win it but 
to have someone like that in the conversation. I think he had that ability. And then everyone's favorite third line defensive pairing, the one every team is salivating at, Mike Matheson and Cody Cece. Um, dig in if you will. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go real quick. I just want to just sw- small thing, and I, I don't know if you guys remember Paul Holmgren. Do you remember him as our general manager? Yes. Okay. I'm getting shades of Jimmy Rutherford and Paul Holmgren. I'm seeing the same thing happen where it's an old man who's now given the keys and he's just driving the truck and he's doing whatever he wants. Because Mike Matheson, I I think when that trade, I just, uh, I really couldn't make heads or tails of it. Cody CC, um, yeah, I just, I, I see a lot of, of Paul Holmgren in, in your guys' GM. And I'm, I really do, I'm sorry for you guys because it means that it's kind of starting to come to the end mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of just, just draft capital because it's just getting just everything's just a pick. Here's a pick. Here's a pick. Here's a pick. And then you'll have to do a, a hardcore rebuild probably. I don't know. Malkin and Crosby are so good. I would say another, another three, four years you guys got and then maybe. But uh, I feel I like I see, I see Paul. I see Homer. I see him in the distance and he's smiling. Sorry. The magic number in Pittsburgh has been two years. So was it the magic number of Pittsburgh has been two years. That's been thrown around heading into this season. That that's how long they have left. Yeah. I, I think it's up to them really. Like if, if they think the team around them is good enough that they can, as you mentioned, pull them, pull the players along with them. I think that's probably going to largely dictate how long those two stick around. Yeah. I, I think part of it too, Joe, I think that's a really good comparison. I've ever, I've never really thought of it that way, especially because in the beginning, the poll poll, I can't speak. Holmgren era, geez. Uh, it was all about like there was <laughs> there was a whole lot of uh, sowing going on and not a whole lot of reaping. Uh, you know, it was like, oh yeah, let's trade for Chris Versteeg. Oh yeah, let's do a blockbuster for Chris Pronger and, and et cetera, et cetera. The moves all just kept happening. Let's trade a second and a third for Andrew McDonald and then sign him to a, a six year deal. It like everything just just compl- like constantly in motion. They're going after everybody they want. And at the time, it was like, yeah, this team's competing. This is great. And then when those, you know, those moves start to to wear down, you know, Andrew McDonald, oh, he's actually not a good player. Uh, maybe that was a maybe that was a mistake. Oh, Chris Versteeg, that didn't really work out. Why did we do that? Why did we trade a first round pick for Chris Versteeg? Like, you know, I I think the Pens might be getting to that point. And I don't know if Crosby and Malkin have them have it in them anymore to like drag guys over the finish line the way they had in the past, especially considering the last two cups we saw from the pens, I would argue that they very much did not do that. Uh, Not saying they didn't have good seasons or they weren't still extremely effective, but what you guys said before about like having Patrick Hornquist and Phil Kessel and Chris or uh, yeah, Chris Hagelin guys like that on your third line, that to me and outstanding play from Mark Andre Fleury and Matt Murray that to me was what really sort of revitalized the pens in the, the beginning of the Mike Sullivan era. Um, you know, his coaching aside, cause he's a great coach, but you know, the pens really seemed to buy into that model in the early 2010s of no Crosby and Malkin are just good enough, no matter who we have in the bottom six. And that's when you saw clown show matchups of like Joe Vitale on that penguins team going after Danny Briere on April fool's day and stuff like that, where the flyers really had the pens number at that point. Um, and then Mike Sullivan came along and Joe, this is your favorite thing. Just basically telling him like, 
no, no, no. We're, yeah. we're a skilled team. Like <laughs> we don't have to do this. Do yeah. So, someone finally went up to, to Sid and Malkin and were like, you, you don't have to do this. We, you're just better than them. And finally <laughs> it clicked and they stopped doing this gong show stuff on the ice where they were just, and I'm starting to see, I feel like this team now, this Penguins team now is starting to get more constructed like that team back then. Yeah. Where it's just, it's not a ton of skill guys. It's, it's now going to, to four checkers and, and, and folk heroes. And that's like, that's the Flyers game. That's not the Penguins. And it just seems like it's going backward. History has, you know, it, all, it always repeats itself, but um, it's interesting to see that the makeup of the team and, and how it's changed. Um, but yeah. Sorry to steal your spotlight there, Mike, but I, I say it all no. the time on, on the pod that no, they I finally think. taught, you know, someone was like, Hey, you're, thousand times better than these guys just play like you are and like we're we're no strangers to the fact that there is that high-end talent on this pens team like brian doomlin made me a believer i'm a believer in brian doomlin now like i saw what that team looked like without him and you know it wasn't a pretty picture so i like him i love chris letang he's one of my favorite defensemen in the league um crosby malkin you know you guys see see the account defending crosby over ov uh on twitter that's that's not just you know fun and game. I I'm behind that by the way. So you know get my little brownie points here, But yeah, but he uh, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, like Crosby, he he is who he is. You know until further notice, Sid is the guy. So Jake Gensel, another great find by the team. Brian Rust, another great find. And honestly, it doesn't matter who you line up on Crosby's wing. He could have you know, Chick McNuggs and, and Buzz Flibbit and Mark Donk on his line, they're going to score 20 plus goals. It is what it is. It's those guys who aren't playing with him. Those guys like on the fourth and third line, are they good enough to, yeah, maybe they can play in their own end. Are they good enough to not spend time in their own end? Like that's, that's where the difference is to me. And then yeah, Cody CC and, and uh, Mike Matheson, that's just not going to cut it in, on an NHL roster. So Matt, what, what are your, what's your take? Yeah, my question would really just be like, like Mike alluded to, is I do like some of the pieces. I like Brandon Tanev. I think he's a good fourth line player. Jared McCann, I think, is a good third line player. And Jankowski's shown some flashes in the past with Calgary. But my question is against the deeper, better teams in the league, like, are you not worried? about those matchups like the the bottom like the third line against another team like the avalanche's third line or your bottom pair really against any bottom any line in the nhl honestly like that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> it gets it gets my nephews rolling out there and believe us like we know like we had to watch some some of the worst defensemen this league has ever probably seen on the yeah. flyers so we know what that's like where you're like grinding your teeth yeah like holding your breath like death gripping a chair waiting for them to get off the ice like my question just seriously is like that third or fourth lines out there against a deeper team or the top teams in the league does not that does that not worry you in terms of the the matchup i mean definitely a little i think berlinski alluded to it before though it's can this line shut down every other line more than um they're able to put on and can our top lines continue to produce? It's about defense in our bottom six right now, and it's not necessarily what me and Berlanti like to watch. I mean, our third line in the 2016 Cup was Phil Kessel, Nick Benino, and Carl Hagelin. Two of those guys aren't notable goal scorers, but Hagelin kind of became one a little bit here, and Phil Kessel is Phil Kessel, and Benino became another folk hero, as I like to say. So 
that was our third line. Like we used to see a ton of high flying in our in every line, but now it's come to a different point where, yeah, our bottom line is pretty much going to be shutting down every line possible. Hopefully, until maybe uh, Kapanen comes in and doesn't take Rodriguez's spot, and now we have a goal scorer down there. But that would be it, Berlinski. The big thing. You guys mentioned, and you talked a lot about the beginning of the Mike Sullivan era, which was a great time for us, to be completely honest. But the big thing that he did is he brought people with him from Wilkes-Barre. He brought up Jake Gensel. He brought up Brian Rust. He brought up Connor Sherry, who was a, a tear in both of those two Stanley Cup runs. And the thing was that they got young and really fast. And that's what was wrong with them before that. And now you look at last season – they were not young. They were not fast. They had some guys that could do it like Tanev, but the problem was you still had guys now like Hornfist, who is probably one of the slowest players in the NHL, underratedly slow, and he still doesn't have the scoring ability that he used to have. So now you have a guy who can't play unless he's with Sidney Crosby. That handcuffs you. You have a third line that you can't really put on the fourth line because you liked your fourth line, and you can't put them higher in the lineup because that makes the lineup worse. It handcuffs you. Here's the thing they did in this offseason. They got younger, they got faster, and they took the shackles off of Mike Sullivan. They said, here, you can actually switch your lineup around now instead of, hey, this is basically what you're stuck with. This is the best thing that's going to work, and if you switch it around, it's not going to. Like, I'm not sure who signed off on the idea to bring in Patrick Marlowe last year because I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I said, why are we bringing in a 40-year-old when the only time we've won Stanley Cups in the Crosby era is with speed? And you're bringing in a 40-year-old that, yeah, he has foot speed, but he's not going to be able to perform on a fourth line. And now that's where they're looking right now with their fourth line. Yes, at the beginning of the season, they're hoping, you know, batting down the hatches and hope nobody scores on you. But as you mentioned, that's not going to work when you have a deep teams going up against you. So the big thing I mentioned was Bluger and his progression into an offensive forward. And that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping that him match with Brandon Tanev and then Mark Donk, who they put on the side of them, they're hoping that that is enough to actually make an existent bottom six scoring as well as the defense that they already bring to the table. That's fair. I think, I think that's definitely fair. It, it's interesting to hear the perspective of, you know, cause from our perspective, we saw Flyers teams in the past that didn't have the depth and tried to make it work with, you know, guys like Blair Betts, guys like Ian LaPerriere. Don't you dare badmouth Blair Betts. Don't you dare. <laughs> okay. Pierre Edward Belmar, stuff, people like that who were never going to give you any offense, but they could play really good defensive hockey. And then you just got to hope your, your big guns can get it done. And that didn't work for them. And it didn't work for them with uh, Peter Laviolette. It didn't work for them with John Stevens. It didn't work for them with uh, Dave Haxtell, especially. So when AV came along with Chuck Fletcher, the name of the game became depth. We're going to have four lines. You know, even if our fourth line, they, they are not going to score 20 goals, obviously. We want guys who can put up double digits on the fourth line. And the Flyers last year, if the season hadn't gotten cut short, they had three, four guys that could have put up 10 plus on the fourth line. Probably close to 15, honestly. Um, so that's, that's what the Flyers' name of the game is. That's the way that this team is successful. It's interesting to hear from your perspective that, like, the Pens don't necessarily need that on the third and fourth line. Maybe the way that this team is successful right now is having guys that can just break even at best on the third and fourth line. That's an interesting take. I think that that's, you know, you all watch them a lot more than we do. Maybe that's what suits that, that team. 
and maybe that's how they can get it done. Um, I just I think that that difference in philosophy is interesting to me because for us, we, you know, the initial reaction is no, that's a terrible plan. Um, but maybe we're just not looking at it in the same way, and maybe the success, uh, maybe that team last year showed no, they can build off of of a, a plan similar to that. So yeah, I, I I like that. This is why I think these conversations are fun with opposing teams uh, when you're not screaming down each other's throats and you're actually just able to sit and have a little chat about it. Like you, you learn a lot about not just the other team, but uh, hockey in general, what, you know, a different philosophy of the game. It's, it's pretty interesting in my opinion. And Matt, I, I'm sorry. You also mentioned our third pairing defense, which I forgot and I would like to forget from my entire memory, but I think the thing that Penguins fans right now, at least what we're doing is crossing our fingers and sitting down, closing our eyes and praying and thinking, it can't be worse than Schultz and Johnson. It can't be worse than Schultz and Johnson because that defensive pairing, I mean, Johnson alone anchored down Chris Letang and Sidney Crosby's numbers to the worst they've ever been last year. I don't know how he is the only player in the NHL that could anchor two of those guys at the same time down, but he did it. So that's what we're, we're hoping that Matheson has a, a bit of a resurgence or at least a little bit of a better showing than he did in Florida. And Cody Cece, we're hoping that somebody else gets better and they don't mind sitting a guy that they only paid $1 million to. Or maybe that Cody Cece can kind of look like what he did in Ottawa. That's maybe. more of a reach. Uh, firsthand, it's never going to be. They're as bad as you think. Like yeah. having gone through McDonald and, and Haig and Brandon Manning, those guys, they might play five good games, and you might be like, oh, wow. No, <laughs> they're as bad as you think. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. No, I was just going to say, I think the, the best thing for you guys is going to be whether or not your coach recognizes that in real time, which, as we alluded to, he's a very good coach, so I wouldn't be shocked if he does. I remember seeing on NHL Network, they were talking about Pierre Oliver Joseph. That, that's his name, correct? Yeah. From, yes. uh, from the Arizona trade for Phil Kessel. So he was a first rounder. I'm not sure where he's at in his development stage in terms of he's NHL ready or if he's close to it. Um, but if, if it really is that bad and he's showing some signs of being able to add value to your lineup, I think obviously that's a player that you guys could plug in. I don't know all too much more about your defensive depth outside of him, um, but um, I really think it comes down to just recognizing that they're not good, which a lot of coaches don't recognize which players in their lineups are actually, in fact, not good players. Yeah. Our defensive defensive depth is actually very interesting because we have two. Before even we get to Pio Joseph, there's two more defensemen that aren't regular NHL players, but have the ability to be in Yuso Rikula and Chad Ruweedle, who Rikula is on, who we just re-signed for two years just to not play him. Rikula at this point is just a like press box attendant. He hands out Doritos yeah. to reporters and stuff at this point because he's so used to being up there. Yeah, and then Ruido, who's been in the league for a lot for a lot longer than people really remember, I and mean, he played for Buffalo for a couple seasons. Um, who those two are usually the first two up in an injury or a healthy scratch situation or replacement um, situation on the blue line, and then you get to Pio Joseph, who, when it comes to how far along he is in his progression, it's he's almost ready. I think a lot of people think he might finally break in this year for a handful of games um starting in Wilkesbury, that was probably what's gonna happen because uh, we just have a log jam at defense that's all it is I mean, we have 
two guys. We have a whole fourth defensive line basically before we even get to a guy like P.O. Joseph, who's going to break in one day and be a phenomenal defenseman. It's just a matter of waiting for him. You know, so would he potentially, or you think the other two you mentioned, Ruedel and uh, Ricola, are probably going to be taxi squad bound? One of the uh, one of the two. Yeah, I would assume so. You think Tristan Jari? I know we'll we'll probably switch to to move on to goalies now yep. with our goalie guru uh, Horat. But you think Tristan Jari is is the guy to uh, to hold it down behind those uh, those defensive pairs? I definitely do hope so. I mean, he showed last year that he's able to be an all-star caliber goalie granted it took injuries but um, I looked at that as more or less that's the league telling you you're an all-star not the fans so if anything it's more of a pat on the back to him and not that all-star means any means everything but um, it's a good start for him I mean he had the last season the season before that he played like two or three or four or five games just a handful season before that he had a nut his I guess his real rookie season, he had a bit more of a regular spot um, with you know injuries to Matt Murray. So he played in 20-some games, and it was the same stuff. So he, we know he's got the ability to be a pretty good regular starter. It's just a matter of it's his second year. We've seen a ton of goalies come into the league, blow it up, and absolutely fall off the face of the earth. I always bring up <clears throat> Andrew Hammond or Victor Fast as examples. Oh, Victor Fast. He was my favorite. I've never seen a more positionally sound goalie, and then it just turned out he wore the biggest pads in the world. That's all it was. (laughs) So upsetting. Yeah, so, I mean, those are guys that came in, carried their teams into the playoffs, made some noise, and then did nothing the next season and haven't been heard from since. So it's – that we're not hoping – we're hoping that it's not that because Casey DeSmith is not the answer. As much as – you know, people might like him and how he's a good backup. Don't get me wrong, but that's all he is, is a pretty good backup. And it scares us this year. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's not just that. That's It's not just not the days of Murray and Flurry anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It scares us this season because every team is going to have to rely on their backup to start a little bit more games because of how condensed the schedule is. And that's where there might be an issue with Casey DeSmith. He's a solid backup goaltender in a normal 82-game season where there's more than two days of off days between a game at least once in the season. But right now, with the fact that there's so many games and so little time, he's going to have to take on a lot more games in a lot shorter period of time. And especially after playing last year in the AHL, it's going to be that readjustment period. Can he come up and play as he did two years ago as the backup for the Penguins, which is great. And Jari is a fun story. Because Jari was supposed to be the guy after Flurry, He was ahead of Murray in, pro- in progression at the, initially. And then Murray had a great season in the AHL, came up, and the rest is history, two Stanley Cups later. But now is the fact that Jari finally got back to the head of Matt Murray. That's why Matt Murray was traded this offseason, is because Jari has progressed past where he was. And the big thing for Tristan Jari is when he goes away for an extended period of time and comes back, he's the same goaltender. That was what was frustrating with Matt Murray is he would go away from the team. He would tinker with his mechanics. He would tinker with something here and there. They'd co- He'd come back, and then all of a sudden, he's a completely different goaltender. And the goaltending coaches looked at that and said, what are you doing? Why are you tinkering? You're, you've won two Stanley Cups as a rookie, even though that is kind of just semantics. You've won two Stanley Cups already. Why are you tinkering so much? And he would do it every single time. Whereas Tristan Jari, 
he's the same goalie today as he was three years ago as he's going to be in five years. It's a matter of if the play and the way that he progresses continues along that same path with the style that he has chosen as his signature style. So we're hoping that that means a consistency basis from what last season showed, which was a top 10 finish and save percentage and goals allowed average. So right now the hope is that he can continue what he started last year. But if he gives us anything as to where he was last year, anything close, it's going to be enough for the Pittsburgh Penguins because we also see our defense as a team that has improved, albeit the third pairing. It has improved in the top four to a point where if Jari can sustain at least a modicum of what he did last year, it'll give us an opportunity. That's fair. It, it's going to be an interesting year. I think Flyers fans are excited. Pittsburgh fans should be excited too. Um, you get to watch one of the best players in the world on a nightly basis. And, you know, from both angles, Flyers fans are kind of looking at this year as a, as a passing of the torch season. Uh, do they finally surpass the pens for real? And Penguins fans should look at this as a, you know, no, this is the old guard holding firm type of season. So I, I think, again, there's that difference in philosophy, that difference in, in perspective. And we get to see it play out this year, which is, which is really neat. You guys over on the eastern side of the state love the term passing the torch, don't you? I can't stay away from it. I, how many times do you think uh, Lavi's going to say it this year in Washington? He's going to say it at least once about Ovi and Crosby, right? He's going to say it probably every single time they play, so at least eight times. <laughs> I should, should mention, you guys had you uh, you said you had us sixth or fifth. I have the Penguins missing the playoffs. I have them at fifth. Um, I have the Capitals just nudging in. I think it's going to be very tight between the two of you. But I just – Laviolette has such good first years um, that I think he's going to get every ounce out of that Caps team, every little last shot that they've got. And I think it's going to be just a little too much, and they get through. But I would not be surprised if the Penguins if – they, if they get in. I would not be shocked because, like you said, this team – this East is loaded. This is, this is a nightmare. I don't know if you guys are soccer fans at all, but this is like the group of death in, in, in the World Cup where you get like Portugal, France, Spain. And you're just like, are you kidding? Like, how, how am I going to get through this? And that's what this kind of lineup really is. So wouldn't be too shocked, but I have them just missing out. Who yeah, we'll see. I'm kind of on the same. I mean, like like Joe alluded to there, too. It's, as long as you have Crosby and Malkin, and you do have, I believe, very two very good defensive pairings and then potentially a very good goalie, you could drag the team into the playoffs just with that alone. Um my question, and it's going to be interesting to see with everyone. It really comes down to this season more than ever before. It's just matchups. You're talking about you're playing seven other teams. How do you match up against those seven teams? Whereas in a regular season, you're playing everyone. It's not necessarily so matchup driven. So it really comes down to how how do you match up? Like we said, we don't match up well against the Islanders, but that doesn't mean that based on our record last year at 13-6 and three, I believe it was against everyone else in that division that we seemingly match up well against the other teams. So I think that's going to be the, obviously the biggest determination of what the, uh, the standings look like at the end of the season. Are the Islanders the kryptonite to every team in I the East so. division? Well, like, how do you guys play against them? We don't play well. We haven't played well as of late, but before the playoffs in 2019, we were fine. We had no issue with the New York Islanders, but from then on, we've just struggled to do anything against them. And that, I mean, that's a Barry Trotzism there as to why but i mean the islanders for some reason don't scare me this year the way that they ended last season before covid hit 
was very bad. And then, of course, they benefited from having time off, mainly just because of the way they play. They play such a hard style of game that in this condensed schedule, can you do that every night? Because if they don't, they don't have the talent to beat the Flyers. They don't have the talent to beat the Bruins or the Capitals. It's going to be a factor of can they continue to play that 100% of the time, full tilt, balls against the wall. Can they do that from start to finish, 56 games? I don't think that's possible. I, I don't think it's humanly possible, but that they still managed to do it. They managed to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, so I shouldn't really count them out that much. But you guys have us at fifth. I mean, Mike, where do you, where do you have us finishing before I go on with this? I was the coward. I got called out by uh, by our friends in D.C. Not you, uh, our our Caps friends in D.C. The other day when uh, we posted our, I had a, I had a Pens and Caps split at at four and five. I think I could. I think the Caps are the better team on paper when I look at them. But I have huge questions about Ilya Samsonov, whether or not he is if if a whatever. T- 10 20 game samples enough uh for him to to anoint him as as the guy uh he's going to be a good goalie no doubt but yeah they're an aging team etc cetera, etc cetera. i think they still have the firepower but i think the pens could i think the pens could surpass them and like you, the point you just made if the islanders can't sustain that pest style that they played in the playoffs then i could see them slipping back too i hadn't really considered that so yeah, I think it'll be close with the Pens. I lean towards them not making it. Um, maybe victims of circumstance with the way the division is set up and there's no wild card, et cetera. Um, but you know what? I, this has been my motto for years now. You can never count out Sidney Crosby. And I remember watching them uh, during that second cup run, the first of the back-to-back. And it was in the regular season, random game against the Flyers. And I remember watching Carl Hagelin just torch down the ice against the Flyers and thinking, they're going to win the cup. This team is is absurd. And then they went on and won back-to-back. So I thought they were dead and buried at that point. I thought that after what we saw in 2012, that Penn's team was going to go away. And look, here we are uh, <laughs> nine years later, which is absurd. <laughs> and we're still having this debate about whether or not this Penn's team is is going to hang it up. So it's it's going to be a fun race this year. Yeah. We feed off of everybody's negative comments in Pittsburgh if you haven't noticed. You're Anytime somebody people, guys. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on. Anytime somebody says, "Hey, the Penguins are done. Let's just throw them to the side. Sidney Crosby is just an aging fun guy to watch, but the team's not going to be great." Boom, back-to-back cups. That's what we love to see. So, uh, yeah, anytime someone says us. it, another name gets added to Crosby's list and he underlines it. <laughs> Oh man, I, uh, I I love watching that. Every now and again, like a Flyers fan account will retweet. Um, it's like it's that that's the famous playoff series, and it's just, I don't like I don't like any guy on their team. <laughs> it's just like the the most like polite Canadian, just like clearly just mad online trying to trash <laughs> talk. But I I, know, I I just don't like them. You're trying to get me to swear, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I got a feeling this this I mean playing it's eight games, right? We're gonna play each other. I I could easily see uh, some some tomfoolery some some hooliganism happening just because I don't know. sam warren's in the lineup yeah oh S- sam moran yeah I, that's one we didn't even talk we about, talk about you have no idea who that's sam another moran discussion is. for another time they have no idea who he is don't worry about it he's, he's he's only your nightmare if he if he actually gets on the ice okay well that, let's keep him off the ice then that's yeah. that's what we'll hope for but as long as it doesn't devolve into the the stadium series in philadelphia where somebody tried to literally snap chris letang's neck off of his body then i think we're anything short of that is fun 
What was the flyer that the, the champion? That was a wrestling match with. Uh, oh, it was Gossip's Bear. It was oh, yeah. Ghost. Yeah. 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 That was a. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, that was, was great. Simmons hit, I think. So. Simmons yeah. Simmons had the hit on. I forget who the defenseman was. Doomlin, Doomlin, Doomlin. Doomlin. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys literally just targeted our top line, that defensive pairing, and you were like, yeah. I think we just found that that's that's the playbook for that's the key. For yeah, they can't right? play if they're hurt, so just go out. And, and all right, all right, Joe, come on. <laughs> well, boys, uh, unless what else do you got? Do you have anything else on, on the Pittsburgh Penguins? Any any hot takes that you think that we'd love to hear? I think Mike Johnson is one of the best coaches in the Mike Sullivan. Well, Mike Sullivan, sorry, not Mike. I'd say Mike Johnson. That would be bad. No, well, I think Mike Sullivan is one of the best coaches in the NHL. Um, he's. I, I I still can't get over that it took him coming in and being like, stop playing like idiots. And then they finally figured it out and just started slamming us because there was a point, I, I think we were in the, in the, was it PPG paints? Is that what it is? I don't know what it was called before, but like the flyers were like 13 Oh, and one in that building for the longest time. And then finally it all just clicked when he came on board and it was like, you are so vastly, more skilled than all of these guys stop mucking it up and you'll win the games. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'd love to see a first round matchup of flyers pens in the playoffs. That'd be great. I'll, yeah. I'll keep on the theme of uh, saying a nice thing about the other team. I think you're right that that sucker Malkin and Russ line is probably this best second line in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what? we all need some positivity right now. Keep it up. Uh, Evan Rodriguez, if he sticks on that top line with Sid in a 56-game season, let's give it to him. 20 goals for Evan Rodriguez <laughs> playing on Sid's wing. I love it. I like Evan Rodriguez. Uh, Jack Eichel's former right-hand man. You know what? I, I see it. Let's go. 20 goals for him. There we go. That's what we like to hear. And as far as your guys' playoffs and having all having basically the pens either close to out or out, it is the most danger their playoff streak has been in since the 20. 20- 14-15 season with Mike Johnston as their head coach where they had to win against the Buffalo Sabres on the last day. And Brandon Sutter magically got them over the hump and into the playoffs before they got embarrassed by the Rangers. This is the most danger that postseason streak has been in since that moment. And hopefully they can extend it to 15 years and they can prove everybody wrong, but there is a danger because of that East. Fair enough. Well, boys, thank you guys so much for joining us here today on the tip of the iceberg episode 99 we're very excited to start the season on wednesday but before we let you go i just need a prediction how's wednesday night gonna go we'll, we'll start with mike how does wednesday night go does philly take it or do the penguins start off the season hot yeah since we gave you guys those those nice hot takes there at the end uh i'm gonna go flyers flyers 4-3 win uh in overtime sean couturier strips a puck the blue line or something and takes it the other way and scores or something like that. I have four, three overtime win. Okay. Matt. I'll go uh, a four, two victory for the flyers. Okay. Joe. Three, one flyers. Or what? Oh, great. Uh, uh, three to one penguins. All right. I'll finish it off. I think it's going to be a repeat of last year for the Pittsburgh penguins opener. They lose three to one to the Philadelphia flyers. That's my prediction on opening night as much as i'd hate to see it that's what i think is going to happen but i'll be again, over here <laughs> just one game just one game yeah it's just a game they'll win the next game i think but they'll they'll probably lose the opener 
just because my excitement will have to be quelled. But, uh, boys, thank you again for joining us. Uh, let us know where the listeners of our show can find you guys on social media, and let us know what's coming up for the P- Three Pigeons podcast. Yeah, uh, you can find us at, uh, at Three Pigeons Pod on Twitter. Um, we've got some other social media pages in the work. Um, find us on Spotify. Find us on iTunes. Anywhere you get your podcasts. If you if you ever get curious, sometimes it's nice to listen to the the other side of the uh, the states takes and, and stuff like that. So Matt, we we also we have one potential pod in the works with a, a certain Penguins prospect. I don't know if you want to tease that a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to commit to it just yet because he's uh, obviously busy with training camp. But I I have a friend who is a recent signing of you guys. So maybe I'm hoping to have it sooner, sooner than later, we'll have him on. Um, so obviously we'll be letting you guys know when that happens so that you can uh, potentially have a little access to that clip potentially. So Ooh. you got, you've piqued my interest. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it's that was Joe, anything. Um. No, I mean, I, I, I want to thank you guys for having us on. This was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I actually I went to college at WVU, so I, I had a ton of, of Penguins fans um, that were their friends of mine. They're still great friends of mine. And um, I think yeah, as long as people aren't like crazy hardos about it, it's a really fun rivalry. Um, I'm excited to, to see what happens. And I want to thank you guys for having us on. We'll have to we'll repay the favor. Maybe uh, maybe when the game starts to really pick up and there's going to be the stretch of we play each other a lot, maybe we'll, uh, we'll have you guys over to, uh, to the better side of the state. You're welcome. Anytime <laughs> food's better over here. Water's better. Come on over. It's great. Water. The, the, the water. Pretzels. Well, boys, thank you again. If you guys want to follow them on Twitter, that is at three pigeons pod, as they mentioned, thank you one more time, guys. Thanks. Guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate So you like hockey? Congratulations. You're amongst the smartest sports fans in the world. Want to fight about it? Join me, the Hockey Troll, and that snack, Polly Cupcakes, every Monday and Thursday on the official Caps Chirp podcast, repping the greatest team in the NHL, your Washington Capitals. Not only do we bring you the best Washington Capitals coverage, but we've got the hottest takes and the tastiest content. Tune in wherever you get your podcast and at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Chirp us on all social media platforms at Caps Chirp. See you beauties and vendors there. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, episode 99. We have episode 100 coming to you guys on Thursday. We might even go live after the Pittsburgh Penguins take on the Philadelphia Flyers on Wednesday. We'll have to discuss that off air, but... We'll see what we do with that episode for right now. We still have to finish off this one. We have our Pens poll for last week. Very simple question. Will the Pittsburgh Penguins be making the playoffs this season? 68% of Pens Twitter say yes. 32% say no. Horwat, we talked about it when we gave our division predictions. We both think they're going to make the Pits- the playoffs. You think they were, you had them in second place, which, hey, That'd be great. I'd love to see him in first place too. But Horat, were you surprised at all by the results of this poll? No, I don't think we were too. I was too surprised. I mean, I know we're our fans specifically are very gung ho about this team. We know that we're still 
uh, a very good team, and we know we can still succeed. And that's really reassuring because half the time reading Facebook comments or Twitter comments, ho oh, ho, it's a gong show. They think this, it's the fire everyone crew, it's uh, the couch GMs, and uh, it's good seeing that you know fans still have faith in this team and that it's not yet at least fire everyone and trade everyone. I was actually a little bit surprised because of how much, like you said, it seems like social media, especially Twitter where this poll was, has been very high on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Maybe not all of the moves that Rutherford has made in the offseason, but they seem pretty high on the team as a whole heading into this season. Yet it was only 68% that said, yes, I was thinking it was going to be more like 80-20. <laughs> now, now that being said, that's only a 12% difference, but... I, I was still a little shocked, and some of that might be the fact that Polly Cupcakes, Hockey Troll, and, and the official Caps Trip podcast, and I'm sure Tom Franklin of Blues Notes, and they, they probably all piled on the nose as well. But uh, at the same time, this team is going to be exciting. I'm excited just to have hockey back, to be completely honest. This is the last episode, by the way, before the season starts. We'll finally have actual games to talk about when it comes to next our next episode. So I'm excited about that, and yeah. I definitely think this team is going to make the playoffs. It is not going to be easy. That's for sure. We've talked about it ad nauseum that the East is the best division in this realigned NHL. And it's going to be tough sledding for a lot of teams in this division to make the playoffs. I think the Penguins squeak in there at the four, three or four seed. And you think they're going to be at the second seed. And you know what? Prove us wrong. Go and be the first seed. Do it. That'd be great. We're all here for seeing you win. Well, I mean, Horwat, that, that's probably going to do it for this episode yeah. of the Tip of the Iceberg. Episode 99. This is the last episode before the start of the 2020-21 season. Horwat, any last words before we let the folks go the last time before puck drop? Uh, we survived another offseason, everyone. Crosby and Malkin are still on the team. No, no, we did not trade one of them or both of them. As, as, as That's the rumor every season. Um Here's to a year uh, of victories and no goalie controversy. Oh, yes, definitely <laughs> that. I'm very excited to have a definite number one goaltender until Casey DeSmith shuts out people in the first three appearances, and all of a sudden we got another goalie controversy. Oh, just wait for DeSmith to lead the league in shutout to make it to the All-Star game. Then we're really having some weird conversations. <laughs> Y'all thought 2020 was weird? Wait till this year, my guy. Well, that's going to do it for episode 99 of the Tip of the Iceberg. We hope you enjoyed the interview we had on this episode. Thank you again to the boys from the Three Pigeons Puckcast. That would be Mike, Matt, and Joe. Thank you guys so much. We hope everybody enjoyed that long conversation about our cross-state rivals. And we hope everybody will enjoy our interview coming up this Thursday on episode 100. We were joined by the one, the only, former Pittsburgh Penguins play-by-play -play announcer, Paul Steigerwald. Steige joined the show to talk a little bit about the behind-the-scenes aspect of being a Penguins announcer in the 90s, as well as some of his interactions with the superstars of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Enjoy that on Thursday. We will see you then. We might see you on Wednesday night after the Pens take on the Flyers, but hey, the next time we talk to you, there will have been Penguins hockey that we can actually talk about. Have a good week, Pens fans, and welcome back to the NHL season. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere 
you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.